Wholeness, welcome. This is Josh Dippold of IntegratingPresence.com. Today I have Rich Lewis joining uh, the podcast. Rich, how's it going? Great, great. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, thanks for reaching out. Um, what I usually do, people probably get tired of me saying this, is if I haven't talked too much to the person, I will uh, toss it back to them to uh, intro themselves instead of me just reading off a sheet or a, a, a canned intro. Um, so who is Rich Lewis and uh, what kind of work do you do specifically um, kind of work we have in common, I guess? Yeah. Sure, sure. So what uh, I guess what attracted me or, or what what attracted you to me in my practice is um, for, I've been practicing uh, a silent meditation practice since uh, early 2014 called Centering Prayer, which involves, as we discussed right before we jumped on, really inner work and, and inner, you know, going within and connecting to your true self with, within. So I have a, a site um, since 1919, uh, since 2014, devoted to Centering Prayer called silenceteaches.com. And really, it just shares what the practice is. And I share how this practice has healed and transformed me and kind of shown me the way forward in, in life and helped me uh, live life life better. And it's a practice that's really been so helpful to me that I simply want to share it with others in case it can help them. Um, it, it's one practice and, and maybe it will resonate with people and they'll take take me up on it. And if it doesn't, there's a ton of contemplative type practices where you go within and, and get quiet and, and get out of the way. But So that's essentially what uh, why we connected was that it's a practice that may be helpful for your community as well, because um, I practice it from a Christian perspective, but anybody can practice it and they can come wherever they are at and try this type of practice, which is the nice thing I like to tell people is anybody can do this. It's not, if you're not a Christian, you, you can't do this. <laughs> well, right on. And speaking of silence, it's so powerful. And you say it's a teacher as well. And we got a real life unexpected taste of this right before the the show here, um, the, uh, Rich's microphone had just automatic or just somehow out of the blue went dead and I couldn't hear him. So I, I said, that's probably not the, uh, manifestation of silence you're expecting to practice today, but there it was. And we, uh, we came back and here we are be able to talk too. But I, I feel that silence can also help, um, our, our speech too, kind of even amplify it and notice how powerful and impactful our speech can be when we've spent long moments in silence. Um, you, you might have something to respond to that by, but I want to just, um, yeah, make clear kind of my intentions for bringing Rich on. I, um, you know, I was raised Christian. I wouldn't consider myself like an active Christian now. Um, however, I, run in all kinds of different Christian circles. Uh, I've joined uh, groups that have been primarily that. I have a friend who's a, she's a uh, Presbyterian minister. Um, and so what I do is I encounter folks who uh, it seems like they would be turned off by more going within and more silent meditate, med meditative like practices, because I guess they don't, this is a guess, obviously, they don't feel it's Christian enough. So what I want to do is kind of bridge the gap here and just promote any kind of wholesome, skillful, and wise uh, inner practices by going within. And not only will it not deter you from uh, the Christian faith, from what I gather, it can actually uh, help uh, strengthen that and amplify that and uh, become closer uh, to this. So um, first, of all, I want to start about, you know, start at, at the beginning here. What is centering prayer and its background? How is it developed? 
Sure. So Centering Prayer has been around since the early 1970s. Um, It was actually created by three Trappist monks, so three Catholic priests in the early 70s. They saw other forms of meditation going on, and they wanted transcendental meditation, I think, being one of them. And they wanted something for the Christian community. Um, One of the priests, Father William Manager, was reading, I think it's a 14th century classic book called The Cloud of Unknowing. And as he read this book, kind of a method of silent, wordless meditation jumped kind of out of the pages at him. So he and the other two priests began kind of refining this practice, teaching it to other clergy, and then, and then really just teaching it to lay people and, and sharing it in general. And then in 1984, um, Thomas Keating, who was one of the Trappist monks, created the Contemplative Outreach Organization, which now has a website, contemplativeoutreach.org. And it's really the main centering prayer um, site with tons of resources on this practice and tons of groups that practice, many of them either in, in a building or via Zoom all throughout the U.S., but not just in the U.S., internationally. So the history is it's, it's about a 50-year-old practice, but the, I guess the idea – and we can get into what is centering prayer and how you do it. The mm-hmm. idea of silent prayer um, isn't just 50 years old. It, it, goes all, it, it really goes all the way back to Jesus, and there's various mentions of him talking about going off to be alone, and we don't surmise that he was always babbling, that he was silent, or he went off to the desert, and he, he couldn't talk. He had to, if he fasted, he had to be quiet and just sat with, with God is, is what – is what he did. So it, uh, I guess many people don't realize Christianity has a rich tradition going all the way back to Jesus and even further back, you know, you can in the old Testament, you know, be still and know I am God and, and various uh, mentions mentionings of silence. So people just don't realize it. It goes back to Jesus and then continues to come into the present future with the, the desert mothers and fathers in the third and fourth centuries and, and various mystics mentioned throughout history as you approach, you know, the year we're at now. So it's just not talked about a whole lot at some churches and, and not possibly accepted but, but they don't realize there, it, there is a rich tradition. And I think it's really the Western church versus the Eastern church. So the Western church, perhaps in the U.S., there are some churches that are, are willing to do silent practices, some Catholic churches, um, some Presbyterian churches, some United Church of Christ, and some Episcopal churches, I've noticed, tend to be open to the idea of, come on in, Rich, and, and just come join our Zoom session and, and share it with us. But I think it's really more the Eastern Orthodox churches have been practicing it for thousands of years. The Western churches, some perhaps because they have a pastor that's been exposed to it and says, this is this is some good stuff and I need to incorporate it into my congregation. So it's been around thousands of years, but people just don't realize it. It's, it's uh, yeah, it, in the Eastern Orthodox thing, I, I don't, it's, it's amazing how much I've been exposed, you know, regular, any, pretty much anybody in the state since there's still a huge um, uh, churches everywhere. Just put it that way. That's, you know, that's one very, um, overly simplified way to look at it. But the Eastern Orthodox, at least here in the Midwest, is not very prevalent. And so it wasn't until maybe five, ten years ago I even even really heard about Eastern Orthodox. It's I don't know if what the deal is if it's been suppressed or the politics. Probably there's politics involved in everything, but we don't have to go into that now because um, uh, that's a whole another. Uh, I mean, lifetime of study, perhaps uh, just like just about pretty 
much many areas within Christianity itself. You could spend the rest of your life studying right. going deep on each one. What I did want to see if uh, maybe go just a tad bit uh, deeper is my kind of eyes opened up a little bit and my ears poke, uh, perked up a little bit about this cloud of unknowingness. Is there anything else you can say to expand upon that? Because that seems like uh, more of the modern day origins of this perhaps or had a, a significant influence in it, Right. It's just yeah, I guess the centering prayer practice was kind of found in in that book, um, um, by this 14th century book. So so why don't I just get into the, the, the how you do the practice? Because the idea of it was formulated sure. as he read this book. Um, right. The idea of centering prayer was formulated as as the gentleman read this book and then further refined by the other two Trappist cool. monks. Sure, well, let's get into it then. Yeah, sure. we, we can uh, how, how it's practiced, and then if you ever if you feel it's appropriate to pick uh, anything up. Uh, else up about that book, then please do so. But yes, let's talk about, well, you know, uh, we gave a little bit of history now. Let's, uh, how, how does one practice this? What, you know, and then what is the, well, as we'll probably get an idea of what exactly it is as we, we learn about the practice because it's a practice, not really a study or teaching. It's something we're actually doing and being right. So yeah, go for Please. No, that's that, that's correct. So it's it's considered two things: meditation. And I get asked this question a lot: is it, is this just meditation? And the answer is yes. And so yes, it is meditation, sitting silently, silently, wordlessly. But we consider it a relationship with God. So during centering prayer, we're opening to the presence and actions of God within us. So we do not believe we're God, and I do not believe I'm God, but I believe I'm sitting with God and opening to this presence that's not only you know around me, but is, is within me. So during centering prayer, we open to the presence and actions of God within in silent uh, in a silent practice. And and how you do the practice is you sit comfortably with your eyes closed. And then to begin the, your silent sit, you introduce a sacred, what we call a sacred word, usually of one or two or three syllables at the most. So it could be God, it could be beach, ocean, a color. And this signifies you're, you're now sitting with God and you're kind of designating this time as you're sitting with God silently. And then as you're sitting there, as you begin engaging your thoughts, and what I mean by that is when you begin thinking about all the things you did before your sit, or you begin thinking about the errands or things you have to do after your sit, you realize you're no longer sitting with God. You're sitting with yourself, and you're planning and plotting or reminiscing. So you reintroduce the word interiorly to bring yourself back to the present moment and let go of your engaged thoughts and then let go of the word as well. So you, you use it when needed. Use the word when needed, not as a mantra. And there are mantra practices where you're saying a word over and over again. It's in centering prayer, you just use it when needed to come back to the present moment. And the purpose of your sit, of just to sit with God and get you and your thoughts out of the way. And Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And it is lovely, too, because in traditional meditation practice a lot, we'll just use our breath as an anchor, right? This uh, idea of a word, is it really fascinates me. One thing that's always fascinated me, well, I don't know about always, but is language itself, right? And in the Bible, the word, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, I, can, I think it's one translation or some, somewhere along that. And so just this mystery of language itself, you know where it comes from, how it comes uh, to us, 
how the words are chosen that we speak and how it just happens so effortlessly and a double-edged sword where the mind can use language to go off into distractions and how the other end it can help center and ground uh in our being and give connection you know so it's a really powerful um phenomenon language of course so yes it's a, it's a really uh interesting and cool way to uh to have a meditation anchor Yes, and you don't have to use a word. Um, I actually use an image. I was going to mention you. Can, okay. Some people, if if you're more of an auditory person, you yes. might use a word. And, and I started with the word, but then I realized I'm more of a visual person, yes. so I pic I picture an image in my head. It's it, I actually just picture since I've been practicing for the last six or seven years, I picture an image uh, of a, a Jesus icon that I that I came across, and and I don't draw it out in detail, but oh. I just think of that to bring myself back to the present moment. So you can use an image. If you're more of a visual person, you can use your breath. If you're more of a physical person and, and some people don't want to close their eyes. They're, they're afraid they'll fall asleep. So they keep their eyes open and just kind of stare at a spot you know, five or six feet in the distance. So you can use what I'll call it a sacred method, any one of those. And you might, and someone may have a, another version that they use to come back. So any method just to keep coming back to the present moment can be used. Very good distinction. And of course, I'm more of an auditory thinker until I uh, will get more silent and then make a conscious choice. But that's, I, I really like your, your object. And it's uh, with, is there, there's an, there's an Eastern Orthodox practice too called iconography. And I think that's in the Catholic tradition. Oh, right, too, right. Probably, right. And so that's a really uh, profound practice in itself. But this is a good point because a lot of people, I would say the majority of people do think in images. Um, and, you know, there's quite a few that do in words as well. Um, and of course, they both associate with each other usually too, right? So, I mean, they, they can go hand in hand. It's just like when we become aware of our thoughts and thinking, usually a person is more predominantly visual based or auditory based, right? Or like you said, uh, I guess, kinest, uh, is it kinest, kinesthetics or somatically yes. based? Yes. So right, yeah, right. that's a really good distinction. Instead of trying to fight something that's not really um, natural, especially when starting off, that's a really great point um, to know too. Good distinction. All and right. The thing, well, and the only thing I'll make too, a comment I'll make sure. is, so once you pick your method, you don't want to be flip-flopping in the middle yes. of your practice. So you want to, yes. otherwise you'll spend more time thinking about what's the next method I'm using when I have a thought. So, you know, pick an image or pick a word or pick your breath and use that the entire time. And then at the end of your practice, if you realize, you know what, it's not working for me, then try something the next time, but, but use the same method, the same word or the same image, obviously the same breath. <laughs> yes. Otherwise you'll, you'll, confuse your practice more than help it. That's all. The comment it I is. It, this is another huge point in meditation too, is that, you know, when we first start getting into, at least when I did, it's just all this new possibility starts coming up because the mind, uh, a lot of stuff gets cleared away, a lot of noise and, and clutter. And so the mind power and heart power starts amplifying. And we just realize all these vast possibilities. And it's so tempting to change the object and just explore all these different modes and aspects. But again, that's just kind of like another distraction, especially when we're doing more um, concentration type practices. I think in the Buddhist tradition, it's called Samatha. There's Samatha and Vipassana. The Samatha is actually staying with one object over and over again, like Rich is talking about. While the Vipassana is more, I guess, um, it's probably a distortion saying this, but it's more investigating the nature of reality. But that can become really destabilizing if there's not a really stable base. And so the type of practice Rich is talking about 
about, it, yeah, come back over and over again to the object. And I, and at least I know from my practice, when I'm doing that, the mind can get very calm, very peaceful, very, uh, the, the amount of joy and pleasure that just arises naturally from staying with one object over and over, especially when it's not an emotionally charged object, you know, more of a neutral object or one that we really resonate with. Um, the mind becomes very powerful, very peaceful, very calm, collected and centered. Um, yes. And so it, that's another very, uh, and, and it can be, like I said, it can be so tempting to go on, to, to go off to something else. And, you know, it, uh, maybe you can scratch that itch some other time, but we want to dedicate that certain amount of time we have, uh, to our practice, whatever it is, building and strengthening that practice because it will not gather momentum or won't gather as much benefit and momentum if we don't stick with it. Like, and then, but with the caveat of Rich saying that if you can't, you choose something, you can't stay with it, well, then that's not going to be beneficial either. All right. So I guess um, maybe following on the progression of this is what are some of your experiences uh, in your own personal practice with this? And then what are some um, um, that others come to you, what they've experienced too. Now, this can be all the way from the mundane to the most uh, woo-woo psychic experiences or woo-woo um, you know, uh, experiences with God or what, however you want to take it. I mean, uh, I'm really open-minded and the audience is too. And at the same time, very practical uh, wisdom aspect of it well as how we, int- we can integrate this into our daily lives and how this uh, in, in practical day-to-day terms helps our lives too. Sure. I'll, I, know, I, I do have coaching clients. I have a recent coaching client. I guess his practice that he's been doing for a number of years has helped him become um, one fruit of it that's been very helpful for him is he's become more playful because he's, he's always felt that he has to be uh, on. He always felt that he, he was very critical of himself and he's not allowed to play and he's not allowed to have fun. And he should always be working. He should always be productive. And he, he specifically has shared with me that this practice is, has allowed him to become more. And we've been working on a lot, but he's realizing it helped him become more playful and just enjoy the moment and maybe do things that he's never done before and maybe dance or sing or, or just enjoy the moment or do a puzzle or or play a game with his wife. Um, so it's helped him. That's one specific area that he, he wanted help with, but he realized the practice has helped him become playful, probably because he's really just accepting the moment for what it is. And he doesn't have to be so critical and feel that he should be so productive that he's focusing too hard. And he needs to, the, the practice is letting go because you're letting go during center prayer and you learn to let go in everyday life. And then you're better able to hone in on the moment and what it requires of you, which includes playfulness. So that was kind of a neat thing that I have a recent coaching client tell me, and I'll let you react to that. Then I can share how it's sure. helped. You know, and that's a great reminder. That's a great reminder for me too. I'm sorry to cut you off there because okay. yeah, it's like my to-do list, right? You know, bam, 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 productivity. And that's something I'm really good at, but it's a, it's an important point because it does open up that wisdom aspect. And when we have that degree of wisdom, we can see, well, you know, how fun is that? You're missing out on like so much, uh, the richness of life, right? Uh, and the beauty and the diversity and the connection. Um, it, um, yeah, that's, so th- that's really important. Uh, and it, it, it's ironic that it, uh, 
leisure time turns into work. I, I hear these people that, you know, are hugely rich. Their job now is to, for leisure time where you have people that are still struggling while their, their leisure time is often spent trying to do more work. Right. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting how that works. Yeah. So, and then in terms of me, as I think about myself and kind of reflect back now that I've been practicing it since June of 2014 on a pretty fairly uh, a daily basis, twice a day, for me, I've definitely noticed a number of fruits from the practice, um, much more confidence in myself. I'm a much more confident person, um, whether it's at home as a father or whether it's a, 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 you know the work I do here, but I also have a regular day job and, and I work in the 401k space and, and deal with large corporate accounts. I'm a much more confident person when I'm on phone calls or making presentations. So I, I've definitely noticed I'm more confident. I think I'm more calm. I'm less reactive. And what I mean by that is I'm more willing to listen to people and not instantly react to that's wrong. I'm I'm more willing to listen and then realize that's kind of a neat, neat way of looking at things. And maybe I should try it or maybe I don't agree with it, but that's okay. And, and, and just, it's going to be okay. So I'm less reactive. I'm calmer. I'm more confident. And I would say not that I was not excited to live life, but I, I have an excitement for life and I kind of look forward to what's today going to bring and what's going to happen. And even if it's a challenge, I'm, I'm going to get through it if I keep persisting and come out the other side. So I guess it's, I guess it's taught me persistence and resilience where I will be okay. And and I can let go of, I see a task I have to do at work. And I think, oh my God, why did this have to happen to me? And then if I, then I can calm myself down and say, you know what, this is okay. I can handle it. The next thing you know, it's done. And I'm like, why did I make such a big deal about it? So centering prayer helps me let go of fear, anxiety, worry, and just get the thing done. So those are some now, really neat fruits that I've experienced, and I have others, but that I, those definitely come to mind. When I look back, I, I was not as confident. I was not as excited. I was more, more reactive, and I was more afraid of the unknown and, and new things that are out of my comfort zone. And well, yeah, plenty to pick up on here too. Yeah, the comfort zone, getting out of that is how we grow, right? And at the same time, if there's too much growth, we need to pull back into our comfort zone a little bit to to integrate the experiences that we've had. And yeah, those things that, that happened to us that we was like, why is this happening? A lot of times I've, I've found uh, that there's a lesson there, right? There's, there's lessons to be learned there too. Um, so many uh, like, what is this trying to teach me? But the self-confidence, I'm glad you brought that up because I had this huge distortion early on where I was confusing self-confidence for egotism, right? So all these, for whatever reason, uh, the, the examples I was giving, uh, given, uh, in my life of a high self-confidence were usually, uh, at least my perception, they were also attached to someone who was very egotistical, you know, and didn't really care about anybody but themselves, uh, and it's obvious now that they're not the same thing, right? There can be a really, uh, healthy, um, almost necessary, yes, a version of self-confidence that doesn't have to do, have anything to do with egotism, right? So yeah, and, and unfortunately it took me, uh, it took me quite a while to make that distinction and then it kind of maybe attract better examples of healthy, especially masculine self-confidence into, uh, to my life. So I had better uh, reference points for that, you know, and it's just, it's been a huge, uh, difference too, uh, when being able to discern that and, and then, um, help exemplify that myself too. Yep. 
No, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really coming from ego. It's more coming from, I'm confident I can handle this task or I'm confident I can help this person. It's not, I am great and look at me. It's, it's, it's a different type of confidence. It's a confidence that I, if you give me this task, I'll get it done. Or if you need my help, I, I can help you. Or if there's a new thing I need to try and explore, I'm confident I, I, I can do it and figure, figure it out. So it's different than, ooh, look at me, look how great I am. <laughs> Yes. And that's exactly the, the distinction that I had to get out of because not only was I uh, mixing the two together, but I was doing the same thing myself, you know? So yeah, um, way behind on that, but that's, that's okay. So now I have that, um, that opposite end of the polarity to, um, to make the other end stronger too. So when there's one negative side, then there's always the, the, the opposite positive side of it too. And then trying to perhaps bring those in balance in certain areas. Yeah. So, um, okay. So now this is a consistency. Let's talk about this. Cause I've had a daily practice since 2012, you know, twice a day as well. Um, pretty much. And I, I can't really think of anything that's helped me so much as a daily practice, something that is like a constant, uh, that we can rely on that we can do no matter what, you know, it can always fall back on for, I got the advice that you uh, get a hobby cause you can always fall back on your hobbies, but you know, that's just, it's, it's a good idea, but, um, instead of looking at it like a hobby, uh, or a hobby, why not take your hobby to a daily practice? So it builds so much. And I tell people if they're not even interested in any of this type of stuff, find a daily practice, even if it's just singing in the shower for a couple seconds or something you can do every day as kind of like an anchor and a stability and something to, to draw on. But I want to hear about your, um, kind of the experiences maybe are the contrast or the benefits you've noticed since you've started a daily practice, I guess, as a reference point, uh, before. Sure. So, um, I do it at least twice a day. So it, for me, you know, it's the first thing I do to begin my day is my centering prayer, 20 minutes sit. And I've actually kind of built a routine around it. So I actually, before it, I, I, I have, I'm a big believer in affirmations. You know, these are single sentence statements of things I want to do with my family or my personal life or my mental health or my physical health um, or financial or, or social or community. These are things that are important to me. So I read them and I kind of let them go into the silence and then I begin my silent sit. And then usually after my silent sit, um, I'm doing two things. I'm, I'm, I, I read from a current book that I'm reading and it doesn't have, it could be anything. It could be fiction or nonfiction, whatever I'm reading, I'll read for five or 10 minutes. And then, and one other thing I do as part of my practice is um, journaling. I, and I just, I've started doing that over the last two months. I've been wanting to do it for years and I keep hearing how powerful it is. And I keep telling myself I'll do it. Well, I finally did it. And, and, you, and you don't have to make it complicated. I, I just take five, however long I just, it's, it's a dump and I'm simply whatever I, I feel like saying I say. So it could be, I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't like the work that needs to get done later today. If that's how I'm feeling, I write it. Or if I need to motivate myself, I'll say I'm powerful, I'm resilient, I'm going to get this done. So I've incorporated that into my routine every day as well in the morning. It's just a quick journaling, even if it's five minutes and single words or single phrases or, or even sentences. So that that's really... I, and I found it so powerful because then I can look back and read them and it's helped me. Like I'll, if I have a day that I'm drudging, 
I'll put on there. And I did it this morning. I, I have a bunch of things that needed to get done during my day job. And I, and I, and I listed them down saying, this is going to get done. This is going to get done. This is going to get done. I'm going to have a great day and I'm going to end the day and be pleased because the, everything will be done. So that's kind of my morning routine is, is, is affirmations, let them go into the silence, do my silent sit, read a little bit from a book I'm reading and then do some journaling and then begin my day. Very cool. Um, this is a big uh, part of my practice too. The uh, I, I guess the affirmations that they are really powerful. Uh, my little spin on it is um, putting them into intentions. Intentions. So I intend to, or I set the intention to. And for me, I found that um, while it can build willpower and uh, uh, can build up willpower, if I say I am going to do this. For me, now I've gotten to the point where I just, um, I, sometimes I still do that because I have a fairly strong will. However, I take it seriously so I don't commit to a lot of things because it, it, the more I commit to things, the, the more commitments I have, the, um, the, the less are, the more I'm spread thin, you know, and, uh, so, um, so for me, I found, uh, that, uh, prioritizing those, um, those affirmations, what's, you know, what is the most important thing? And I know you've, you're probably pretty good at this of what's, um, and I forget what, how you, you said, but what I, uh, what I like to do is allow. So working with this thing of allowing as well, um, like, uh, instead of saying, uh, I intend to, I'm more like I, I allow such and such, you know, and, and so that's one thing for my intention. Now, the other thing you said, the, the reading afterwards, and that's a really good idea because, uh, once the mind is calm and settled and we focus so deeply, that's a great time to do cognitive things too, right? Because, uh, it seems, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're, um, absorption and your understanding and your insight into what you're reading is expanded at that time, right? Uh, yeah, coming out of the meditation is a very important point. Uh, it's a very powerful thing. And sometimes the insights can come after the meditation too, during the day. So, um, so notice that's a key time as well. And the journaling, I just have to say, yeah, I got a, a advice a few years ago that if you're not journaling, you're faking it, faking it. And I'm like, what? I'm not faking it. I'm going to do this. So I've kept a daily journal um, probably for years now. And sometimes it's only like a sentence or two. And for me, it's not as much emotional and things like that. It's me keeping track of my day. What did I do that day? But the, the retrospective part of it is so important because the hindsight is where we really can change and grow and evolve. I don't do that enough. I need to go back through it now that I've got years and just, you know, flip to a random day. Oh yeah, I remember that day. What was going on? Oh, how I could only see part of it then, but now I, it fits into the bigger picture and how that informs what I'm doing now are things, events that might've happened and played out. So it's, it's a beautiful practice. Yeah. And you've already noticed the benefits in your short amount of time doing it. So yeah, that's a, another huge recommendation. Um, now what about retreats uh, of centering prayer? Have you led those like extended uh, periods of time, uh, either in real life or, um, uh, on zoom? And if there's anything else you want to pick up about what I said too. I haven't, I, well, I do, 
actually with another gentleman that wrote a book. So I wrote Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer, which came out in August of 2020. I connected with a gentleman named Brian Russell, who also published a book um, less than a year ago on Centering Prayer. He has a podcast. I was on his show, and then we just resonated with each other So and, and said, we need to do stuff together. So we're actually, tomorrow, we're doing, I think it's our fourth one. We're, we do a monthly Centering Prayer gathering. It's 90 minutes, and the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes is really just uh, us talking and, and on an interesting topic that we put together. It, sometimes it might be me asking him questions or him asking me questions, but there's usually a topic. And then we lead them into a 20 minute centering prayer sit. So I know it sounds funny, but we do. We all then we, we lead them into the sit and then everybody sits silently for 20 minutes. And most of the people turn their cameras off and, and mute. And then um, at the end of the 20 minute period, it's, we have 30 minutes left or we allow at least 30 more minutes of just Q&A where they can either ask questions. They can ask questions upon what we talked about at the beginning, or they can simply share whatever they want to share. So we've been doing this. And many of the people have already been practicing centering prayer, but in some cases they might be new. So we always, right before we do the sit, I teach them, you know, how you do the practice in case there's anybody new. So now that you said that we've been, this is, I think our fourth one, we're doing it once a month and inviting anybody who wants to join us to come in via Zoom. And, and it's it's been a neat experience. I mean, we, we've had people from all over the U.S. And we, we had a gentleman call in from Croatia, and we had a couple people from the U.K. Um, so it's so that's one thing that, I, that I've been doing. And then I'll get invited to come into churches, and we'll, and we'll do it via Zoom. And, and I'll kind of cater to what they want. So in some cases, they want to do centering prayer exactly like what I just explained. In other cases, they just want to give – have me give them a talk, share the practice, and then let them experience five minutes of silence. So I, I, so I do that as well. So a little bit of both. So the monthly gathering, which is a 20-minute sit, or churches inviting me to come in, whether they have an hour or 90 minutes, and asking me to teach them centering prayer and let them experience the sit, or, or they'll give me a topic, and, and I'll incorporate that in my talk, plus the centering prayer uh, very cool. Uh, and actually, this isn't, at least in the Buddhist communities that I do, I'm actually doing a day-long um, meditation retreat tomorrow on Zoom. Okay. It's, it's out of Redwood City, California, at least one of the teachers is. So that's the whole day, just the meditation, right? But more, a lot of the other uh, meetups and gatherings on Zoom now, it, it's very similar to the format. There'll be a, there'll be a talk. Um, they'll be, uh, sitting and then they'll, they'll open it up for questions and answers. Right. I mean, it's a really common format now. And like you're saying, the hybrid where part of it, uh, can happen in real life and then other people can join on Zoom. It's becoming really more and more common as, as far as I, uh, can, uh, notice now with different things that I check out and join. So, yeah. Um, well, why don't you leave, uh, we're getting closer to the end here. Why don't you leave folks with any other thing you'd like to, how, anything else you'd like to say? And then also, um, we've mentioned kind of the events you do. Uh, tell people more about your book, anything you want to say about that, maybe the writing process, the inspiration process, anything you want to say about that. Of course, where people can get it too. And then you can leave folks with your uh, social media links, uh, website, any other events you have up coming up? Any messages you want to say? You know, um, and I know this this gathering is really important. This belonging, all of us as humans, uh, it, we're just better off if we feel like we belong to to each other, to something, to someone. You know, this in the gathering is a really important part of life too. So, plenty of stuff there to pick up on. Sure, sure. 
Well, the first thing I would just encourage people is to try a, a silent practice. So um, whether it's centering prayer or whether it's some type of silent meditation, I would encourage people to find a practice and, and make try it for 30 days and, and to make it a habit, I'll suggest they do it first thing in the morning. So before you begin your day, do your silent practice. If the idea of sitting for 20 minutes seems daunting, you don't have to start with 20 minutes. Sit with five minutes and try to make an effort to do it every day for 30 days and just see what happens and see whether that resonates with you and, and you can decide, you know what, this isn't so bad. I think I'm going to keep at it and I think I'm going to slowly start increasing the time. So I would just challenge people to try, commit to 30 days of five minutes first thing in the morning and see what happens is what I would challenge people to do. Yes. Can't, I can't echo that enough. And then to and then in terms of centering prayer, I have a free ebook on my site. So if they come over to silenceteaches.com and subscribe, I have a free ebook that's very easy to read and get through in five, five or ten minutes, which kind of shares how you know it's it it answers all kinds of questions on centering prayer. The top of the page is a question, and then the bottom is just bullet points of answering the question so it'll share the practice and how to how to do it so i would encourage them to take a peek at my site silenceteaches.com try the free ebook and just see if this is a practice that you know, resonates with you and then if you find it does they, they're certainly welcome to take a look at my book they can see it on my website um, sitting with god a journey to your true self through centering prayers is available on amazon and, and and most online retailers uh, barnes and noble target walmart um, and it's available internationally i've noticed it in different spots so they can if they want to further explore the idea of centering prayer they can check out my book because it's a just a regular person who has a, who works a regular day job and um, sharing how, what the practice is for people new as well as people that want to go deeper, but it, it shares how it's healed and transformed me as well. So I think that's what a lot of people have said they liked the book because it was easy to read. It shared my journey. I was, I was open and vulnerable in the book. The chapters are short, I'm purposely short, and with, even within each chapter, the, you have a heading so you know what to read under that section. The sections are short. Um, at the end of each chapter, questions for reflection and answer if you want to kind of reflect on what you just read. So people told me they, they liked it because it was an easy, to, easy book to read. Uh, they could read it in chunks, and it was just coming from a regular person who's sharing how much this practice has helped and healed, healed him. So silenceteaches.com really is the best place to learn about me, my book, or, or even just take a peek at the the free ebook and see if this is something that will resonate with you. Well, very cool, Rich. And those will be linked in the show notes. Um, and thanks for everybody for joining and, and uh, listening in. May you all be blessed with an ideal and optimal day and night. Bye-bye.